Chapter eighteen of the Vicar of Wakefield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Chapter eighteen. The pursuit of a father to reclaim a lost child to virtue. Though the child could not describe the gentleman's person who handed his sister into the post-chaise, yet my suspicions fell entirely upon our young landlord, whose character for such intrigues was but too well known. I therefore directed my steps towards Thornhill Castle, resolving to upbraid him, and, if possible, to bring back my daughter. But before I had reached his seat, I was met by one of my parishioners, who said he saw a young lady resembling my daughter in a post-chaise with a gentleman, whom, by the description, I could only guess to be Mr. Burchell, and that they drove very fast. This information, however, did by no means satisfy me. I therefore went to the young squire's, and though it was yet early, insisted upon seeing him immediately. He soon appeared with a most open, familiar air, and seemed perfectly amazed at my daughter's elopement, protesting upon his honour that he was quite a stranger to it. I now therefore condemned my former suspicions, and could turn them only on Mr. Burchell, who I recollected had of late several private conferences with her. But the appearance of another witness left me no room to doubt of his villainy, who averred that he and my daughter were actually gone towards the wells about thirty miles off, where there was a great deal of company. Being driven to that state of mind in which we are more ready to act precipitately than to reason right, I never debated with myself whether these accounts might not have been given by persons purposely placed in my way, to mislead me, but resolved to pursue my daughter and her fancied deluder thither. I walked along with earnestness, and inquired of several by the way, but received no accounts till entering the town I was met by a person on horseback, whom I remember to have seen at the squire's, and he assured me that if I followed them to the races, which were about thirty miles farther, I might depend upon overtaking them, for he had seen them dance there the night before, and the whole assembly seemed charmed with my daughter's performance. Early the next day I walked forward to the races, and about four in the afternoon I came upon the course. The company made a very brilliant appearance, all earnestly employed in one pursuit, that of pleasure, how different from mine, that of reclaiming a lost child to virtue. I thought I perceived Mr. Burchell at some distance from me, but, as if he dreaded an interview, upon my approaching him he mixed among a crowd, and I saw him no more. I now reflected that it would be to no purpose to continue my pursuit farther, and resolved to return home to an innocent family who wanted my assistance. But the agitations of my mind and the fatigues I had undergone threw me into a fever, the symptoms of which I perceived before I came off the course. This was another unexpected stroke, as I was more than seventy miles distant from home. However, I retired to a little alehouse by the roadside, and in this place, the usual retreat of indigence and frugality, I laid me down patiently to wait the issue of my disorder. I languished here for three weeks, but at last my constitution prevailed, though I was unprovided with money to defray the expenses of my entertainment. It is possible the anxiety from this last circumstance alone might have brought on a relapse, had I not been supplied by a traveller who stopped to make a cursory refreshment. This person was no other than the philanthropic bookseller in St. Paul's Churchyard, who has written so many little books for children. He called himself their friend, but he was the friend of all mankind. 
he was no sooner alighted but he was in haste to be gone for he was ever on business of the utmost importance and was at that time actually compiling materials for the history of one mr thomas trip i immediately recollected this good-natured man's red pimpled face for he had published for me against the deuterogamists of the age and from him i borrowed a few pieces to be paid at my return leaving the inn therefore as i was yet but weak i resolved to return home by easy journeys of ten miles a day my health and usual tranquillity were almost restored and i now condemned that pride which had made me refractory to the hand of correction man little knows what calamities are beyond his patience to bear till he tries them as in ascending the heights of ambition which look bright from below every step we rise shows us some new and gloomy prospect of hidden disappointment so in our descent from the summits of pleasure though the veil of misery below may appear at first dark and gloomy yet the busy mind still attentive to its own amusement finds as we descend something to flatter and to please still as we approach the darkest objects appear to brighten and the mental eye becomes adapted to its gloomy situation i now proceeded forward and had walked about two hours when i perceived what appeared at a distance like a waggon which i was resolved to overtake but when i came up with it i found it to be a strolling company's cart that was carrying their scenes and other theatrical furniture to the next village where they were to exhibit the cart was attended only by the person who drove it and one of the company as the rest of the players were to follow the ensuing day a good company upon the road says the proverb is the shortest cut i therefore entered into conversation with the poor player and as i once had some theatrical powers myself i deserted on such topics with my usual freedom but as i was pretty much unacquainted with the present state of the stage i demanded who were the present theatrical writers in vogue who the Drydens and Otways of the day. I fancy, sir, cried the player, few of our modern dramatists would think themselves much honoured by being compared to the writers you mention. Dryden and Rose Manor, sir, are quite out of fashion. Our taste has gone back a whole century. Fletcher, Ben Jonson, and all the plays of Shakespeare are the only things that go down. How, cried I, is it possible the present age can be pleased with that antiquated dialect, that obsolete humour, those overcharged characters which abound in the works you mention? Sir, replied my companion, the public think nothing about dialect or humour or character, for that is none of their business. They only go to be amused and find themselves happy when they can enjoy a pantomime under the sanction of Johnson's or Shakespeare's name so then i suppose cried i that our modern dramatists are rather imitators of shakespeare than of nature to say the truth returned my companion i don't know that they imitate anything at all nor indeed does the public require it of them it is not the composition of the piece but the number of starts and attitudes that may be introduced into it that elicits applause i have known a piece with not one jest in the whole shrugged into popularity and another saved by the poets throwing in a fit of the gripes no sir the works of congreve and farquhar have too much wit in them for the present taste our modern dialect is much more natural by this time the equipage of the strolling company was arrived at the village which it seems had been appraised of our approach and was come out to gaze at us for my companion observed that strollers always have more spectators without doors than within i did not consider the impropriety of my being in such company till i saw a mob gather about me 
I therefore took shelter, as fast as possible, in the first alehouse that offered, and being shown into the common room, was accosted by a very well-dressed gentleman, who demanded whether I was the real chaplain of the company, or whether it was only to be my masquerade character in the play. Upon informing him of the truth, and that I did not belong in any sort to the company, he was condescending enough to desire me and the player to partake in a bowl of punch, over which he discussed modern politics with great earnestness and interest. I set him down in my mind for nothing less than a Parliament man at least, but was almost confirmed in my conjectures when upon my asking what there was in the house for supper, he insisted that the player and I should sup with him at his house, with which request, after some entreaties, we were prevailed upon to comply. End of chapter 18